Welcome to Beyond, conversations with artists, makers, explorers who have gone outside of the norm to create their own true world, to sing their own precious song. Each of us is born with a song inside, but most will die having never sung it. Imagine if, as a little child, instead of being asked, what will you do when you grow up? What will you be? Or what kind of job will you get when you grow up? If instead you are told, now is the time to listen. As you grow, listen for the sounds of your song. The song that comes from your blood, your bones, your people. Listen for the melody, the verses, the tune. And when you hear your song, sing it. Imagine that kind of world. That's the kind of world I'm devoted to building. I am your host, Daphne Cohn, the creator of multiple online programs, courses, and within a community for artists, makers, and writers dedicated to the courage and practice of singing their own song. I ask you, are you ready to sing your own song? Are you ready to go beyond? Before we begin, a quick reminder about Illumin, which is the free creativity hour every Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 LA time, 9 to 10 New York time, 2 to 3 London. It's an hour to come and to make. We don't talk. I open with a blessing. I close with a blessing to create a container of sacredness where making is a holy act. And then in the interim, between those two blessings, we make. People come from all over the world. They draw, paint, write, move, collage, whatever type of art you want to play with, work on is up to you. But I invite you to come any day that works for you, anytime. I am there, Monday through Friday, and... I will hold that space for anyone who wants to be there and make. And now, on to the podcast. Today is Daje James. When I think of Daje, I think of power. Wide-eyed, full-bodied power. The kind of power born of tension and tightness, emergence and transcendence. Power that roots in the earth and spreads like tendrils through poetry, song, and space holding. Daje is a storyteller, flower essence practitioner, and space holder for wild-hearted leaders and creative entrepreneurs. She supports creatives in coming home to their true nature and self-initiating themselves into dharmic creative flow while boldly sharing their medicine with the world. Daje is the founder of Brave School and Institute of Dreaming, creator of Wild Boy Apothecary, and author at the Story Doula. Some of the things we talk about in this conversation are how to use creative courage to cultivate belonging, essence liberation, and how we create wholeness, the catalytic moment that led to Daje's deep connection with spirit and self, three questions for creating a new relationship with money, and regenerative mysticism as a tool for awakening. You can learn more about Daje and her work at storydoula.com, and you can catch up on all past episodes at daphnecone.com. May this conversation inspire you to go within, 
to the raw, wild expanse of mystery that is your beating heart, vibrating body, pulsing life, in order to go beyond, to utter the holy. Your words, dance, painting, art. Welcome, Daje, to Beyond. It is a joy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Daphne. I want to begin with this idea of being a seeker because I have a feeling that this is going to be something that weaves itself through much of our conversation. This is something that you have talked about, that you were always a seeker, beginning very young. I wanted to know, what does that look like? What did it look like when you were a small child? Yeah. Yeah, that that word seeker just really resonates with me. Like someone who just from very young has always like been an observer of the world and like just very curious about every possible thing. Even just having memories of being, you know, really young, like maybe three years old and just witnessing my parents go through their thing and, you know, go through their breakup and their divorce and how that created, like I remember witnessing silently almost these things happening and not that I wasn't feeling any sadness and definitely I remember feeling sadness and and crying. And as I witnessed the world, witnessed my family, um, I was very sensitive as well, very sensitive to sound and smell and taste, very particular about those things. And even then I just had like, I wanted to know about everything. That's just who I was, you know? carrying around my Blue's Clues notebook with me everywhere, drawing people's faces, writing stories before I even knew the alphabet. That was who I was. You know, I, I remember asking my grandfather, all of my family was sitting in the living room and they were doing grown up things. I went up to my grandfather and I was like, granddaddy, does your face hurt? And just dropping into this moment with him. And he just looked at me and like the whole room laughed at me, but I was so sincere. He had wrinkles on his face and I was like, surely like you must be in so much pain. I was thinking I was four years old, (laughs) but just having this innate ability to just want to attune to everything and everyone and checking in and see what's, what wants to happen is everyone okay like that has always been a part of who I have been I'm curious how being as sensitive as you were as you are and having this deep curiosity I mean you must have figured out maybe as a child maybe later how to keep them in balance because that curiosity Mm. opens you wide but the sensitivity means that everything you're open to really touches deep. So how does this balance? Yeah, it wasn't until like maybe after my mid-20s that I really started to get intentional, maybe even earlier than that. I learned growing up that my sensitivity was a bad thing. 
and that it was wrong for me to be so sensitive. Yeah, there were definitely periods of my life where like I felt like my feelings got hurt really intensely and like I kind of cradled that in and and bottled that up a little bit but I was also sensitive on like the protective side too sensing when people needed protection so there was this twofold experience of my sensitivity of like I feel sensitive and I feel sensitive to the needs of my brother who needed somebody to stand up for him when he got jumped at school kind of thing and so there was like this twofold experience of I felt a lot and I also used my voice a lot. Sometimes it got me in trouble um, to speak to things that really wanted to be said and to challenge ideas. I grew up in a fundamental independent Christian environment where it was really dangerous for me, especially as a young woman, a teenager, preteen, to challenge anything that was going on in my home and at church um, and was actively spoken against. Our pastor preached about it a lot, like how women should know their place, how women should dress. Like I was only allowed to wear certain things, wasn't allowed to wear pants at all or skirts that rose above the knee kind of thing. And And I started like really like how I worked with that, like sensitivity was like, I started really challenging, like, why are we doing this? What does this mean? And so (laughs) I like to joke that like, it was at the age of 14 that I became a young theologian because I was in like my sensitivity. It was my sensitivity, my curiosity that led me to put my nose in the big, thick, philosophical, theological books like Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology and a couple of other texts that drove me to learn and understand what is the world that I'm living in. So I would say that even though I am and have always been this like tender, wondrous, curious, uh, emotional being that I learned that what I carry is actually more a gift than it is a curse. And I also learned how to not let people take advantage of my sensitivity just because I hold openness as a value, as an aspect of me that I believe is good. Um, And over time, I learned, you know, how to really kind of create those energetic boundaries and those like, you know, really physical boundaries in like really safe and gentle and supple ways. Definitely took some trial and error to learn how to work with my sensitivity and curiosity, but, and I'm not, I can't pipe it down for anybody. Like it's me. (laughs) I'd love to ask you actually, there's there's a couple places I want to go, but I'm just going to speak to this first thing because you just mentioned it, which is this idea of learning how to not have people take advantage of your sensitivity because of how much openness, how much you value openness, but also how much it's just part of who you are and the way you really serve. That's my experience of you. So what are a few that maybe specific ways or maybe just learnings around that? Yeah, this might be a roundabout answer, but one of the biggest things that has supported me is learning how to be with my voice 
And, you know, I'm a singer songwriter outside of work. I'm a poet. I've published a book. I've toured with my poetry and my songs and those kinds of things. And being with my voice in this way, learning how to shape words in my mouth and bring them into the room has been the most supportive thing for me and my sensitivity. Learning how to, even if I can't quite say exactly what I need to the person, because maybe it's not invited or it's not like there's not really an openness. I know how to communicate to myself, Daje, you need space, Daje, you need time, Daje, like you need to process what you're feeling, maybe write about it, maybe put it in a song, take out your journal, any way that you can put your voice in it so that you can understand that what you're experiencing, what you're sensing, what you're feeling is yours. And no one can take that away from you. And no one can take advantage of that. You own your voice. You're the one who decides how this gets to go. And I remember even in my early 20s, saying that to myself over and over and over again, Daji, you're the one who gets to decide how this rolls out. You know, I've been through abusive relationships physically, emotionally, and I have had to tell myself, Daji, you are the one who gets to say how this rolls. You're the one. Use your words. Use your voice. And that's kind of my version of like sort of staking my, my claim on my own energy and also like me rising up to protect my own sensitivity of like, Daje, everything that you sense and feel, that is so powerful. Telling myself this at 23, when I had a partner really gaslight me, it was like one of my first experiences using that term to describe what was going on and getting to name that out loud of, I am being gaslit right now. This person is really trying to take advantage of me. This person doesn't care about what is coming through me. And instead of closing off my sensitivity, I actually bring it online even more as I'm able to name that and I say, well, what else do you sense? What else do you feel? And just write those things down and get really specific, fine tune, get, get low in it and really begin to discern, is this for you or is it not? And if it is a no from you, Daje, you need to get Hightail out of here because you're not going to waste the gift that you have. And this was a big thing for me. I learned how to not pour out my gift onto people who weren't inviting it, who couldn't hold it, who couldn't be seen in it. And that took a lot, a lot of, I still feel like I'm learning those lessons, but because I do care about folks, I do, I do care, but you don't have to stop being you. You just get to go back into that space of being the witness, being the observer and allowing things to unfold in their own time and saving your sensitivity, saving your energy that you use to sense out situations for moments when, you know, that feels good. It feels alive. It feels great to receive or important even to receive the information. 
I have to bring my voice online to stake that boundary for myself of like, Daje, you get to decide how this goal goes. You get to decide what you feel and what you sense from other people. You get to seek the gold in the situation. And, and, and that's that. My sovereignty gets to play the bigger role than just whatever anybody might want to do to me or with me because of how sensitive I am. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And when you speak, this is something I've noticed about you many times, is you, you embody, it's like as the words are coming out of your mouth, they have already traveled the length of your body. There's this experience mm-hmm. of you feel it, like as the listener, I feel it as you say it and there is something about that that right there it's like a boundary is made somehow with that alone it's very interesting to to notice that and to see that i one other little thing that i wanted to ask about is well not little but it's more of an aside but you mentioned this about how at 14 you were studying these books, you're this little theologian. And I've heard you say, and you mentioned a little bit here, but that your childhood was not an easy one and that you were behind quite a bit in school mm-hmm. with your schooling. And yet <laughs> I read your writing and I have to read it several times because I'm like, wait, what is you? <laughs> some really deep stuff that you write about. Feels like you taught yourself a lot of of where you're at. Is that true or that actually is really true. I would say that, yes, I taught myself, but the books taught me and my curiosity led me where I needed to go. I don't technically have a high school education um, and I'm missing chunks of middle school because we were homeschooled, but we didn't have the curriculum to take us all the way to the end of grade school and secondary school. Um, I'm missing huge chunk. Like I've never taken an algebra class. I've never had biology. I've never had chemistry. Um, I don't even think I've had like pre-algebra. None of that has been a part of my education. And so what really kind of held me were books. Um, And I still have some of my books from that time. Like I would go to the thrift store and I would pick out titles that really interested me. Like, you know, it started with Anne of Green Gables and Nancy Drew and all of those. And it like started to evolve into some like pretty, (laughs) like when I was 14, serious theological texts that were challenging even my family's own relationship with spirit, God, religion, like Wayne Grudem and and John Piper and Mark school if I was I was head first into these texts I was also at the time I, I got my first job when I was 14 and um, I was working at this little nonprofit and I used the money that I earned from this nonprofit to study piano so I am a classically trained pianist don't ask me if I remember everything I learned back then but <laughs> um I spent time with my teacher and, you know, when you, this is a very roundabout way, but when you're like being with like 
Rachmaninoff and, and Mozart, you know, Chopin and like all of these different artists who were creating beautifully, beautiful, almost simple melodies from so much complexity, your body just kind of learns a lot differently. Like there's like a different reconstruction in your wiring that goes on. So for me, all of that was a part of the story of, oh yeah, this shaped me. I got into college by the skin of my teeth and through the help of Miss Pat, who tutored me just so that I can get enough of an ACT score to get off of the wait list at University of Tennessee and get accepted. But I had to drop out because I literally couldn't take a fundamental math class. I couldn't take any of the rudimentary math classes without a lot of struggle and expense as I was putting myself through college. And I felt way too daunted. I took all of my English courses and like my design courses and all of that and like philosophy and social work and religious studies, all the things that required the writing piece. I was like, I'm here, but biology, like I've got all of my like (laughs) gen eds, most of them are not completed because I was just like, I don't know even how to begin with a biology class. I don't know any of these concepts. Um, I'm pretty sure I could do it. But back then when I was 20, I was like, no, there is a part of me. Yeah. That taught, I taught myself, but I would also say that like, I found my mentors in the books. I found my mentors in the wild And they sort of took me in and showed me the world um, when I was just feeling very isolated as a teenage girl, as a child. So yeah, that's a, that's. That's an important piece too, because sometimes it can feel like, depending on your situation, it can feel like, oh, I don't have the money to buy this course or to work with this person or, and, Mm -hmm. and to come back to this idea that not just are you finding this wisdom in these books, but that you are being mentored by them. Mm. Yes. That these people live inside of you, regardless of whether you actually had a conversation like we're having or yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. 1000%. The other thing that was happening when you were a child, and this is something that I want to bring back in because of the seeker and because I want to get into mysticism and and a lot of different ideas around your work is this time in your life where you were a worship leader and you would Mm -hmm. channel for hours at a time. And I, I want to know a little more about what led to that, if that was something you were always aware of and how, how that fit in the church and how that fits in your life now? Absolutely. Yeah. So this was something that came through from my early adulthood or like early adulthood. I'm still in my early adulthood. I'm like <laughs> 30, but um, yeah, when I was in my early twenties, I, you know, continuing in my own patterns of just asking a lot of questions about the things that I was believing or being taught through church and, it led me to discover that I had some spiritual gifts that I had grown up believing were not possible to have. So I grew up again, like in a very fundamentalist church and we were proudly cessationist. And what that means is like, we believed and held doctrines around the fact that we did not 
believe at that time that spirit or Holy Spirit was an active force in the lives and in the bodies of the people that, that we encounter in ourselves. Like there are no spiritual gifts, you know, outside of hospitality and empathy. There's no like supernatural world that that died when Jesus died. That's what we believed. Um, so when I got to college, like, of course, all of that was being challenged. And I was found myself surrounded by people who weren't like radically, you know, like, believers in spiritual gifts, but they held enough of that spiritist, enough of that, like that wonder, that, that desire for God, where they were just open to whatever spirit wanted to bring through them. And so of course that led them to like spiritual gifts, like what we would say, I guess, in the new age paradigm, a lot of people are very familiar with terms like being a seer or having an intuition where you have like clear cognizance and clear sentience where you're able to feel more or like you know, clear cognizance, meaning you have like an internal knowing, like intuitive hits that just give you the information that you need. And so in the paradigm that I was like kind of growing up in, in my early twenties, like maybe 19, 20 years old, I was learning a new language and a new way to desire God that was like so different than what I grew up in. And so daily, I would just ask God, show me more of you, show me more of you and your presence and your essence. Show me more of your love. God, show me more of your spirit. Show me more of you. And I remember like, I was like, I think I was 18. I don't think I was even 19 yet <laughs> because like, I was also like dating the person that I would marry when I was 19 at the time. And there was just like lots of nuances going on in that, but I would get up at 5 AM and go with my friends to this prayer gathering. And I would cry out to God, show me more of you. And it just felt so sincere. Like, I really wanted God to show me my gifts. I wanted God to show me all that he could do. And so one day in church, this guy like random just comes over to me and he was like, you know, I got this vision of you and I would love to share with you if you're open to it. You know, it wasn't, you were like reaching yourself out to God, but not necessarily in worship, but in relationship and conversation and in the desire to see more of him. And so that was the catalytic moment that led me into this deep uncovering, this deep discovery, layers upon layers of religiosity were sort of peeling away. And I found myself with this group of people who none of them really like went to church church, but they kind of gathered together in the desire to see to see more love, to see more just love in the city of Knoxville where I lived, um, to see more people know who they are and know that they are worthy of receiving love and just felt so deeply challenged and over time just like invited to weave myself into this kind of paradigm of being connected with, with spirit, being connected with all that there is all that is as a part of an expression of God's love the worship and the song that came out of that was really just like I just felt the presence of God and I will never deny that I just felt 
the presence, the whisper of God in my life. And I wanted to bathe in that. Like I told God, I want to spend my entire life before you in, in worship and in reverence of all that you are doing in the world. I want to spend my entire career bringing people into relationship with you and your heart. And little did I know spending all of those hours at one point, it was my job to spend hours and hours in the prayer room, seeking the heart of God in my, in my prayer practice, like bringing hearts and souls into the presence of God and asking God to pour out his love on them. It wasn't about, you know, all the, the typical things we hear about Christianity and those things that feel really hard to look, look at at the time for me, it was really about like, no, I just want God to bless you. I want the spirit of God, the spirit of this earth to bless you with every possible good, every possible expression of love that you can possibly hold in this moment. And there was a lot of healing that took place in me and in our community from that expression of us, like having that ritual practice of genuinely spending time and worshiping, but also receiving insights, receiving, we would call them words and prophecies from God and not, not prophecies in this like scary sense of the word where you're like looking at like the destruction of the world in the future, but prophecies in the sense of like, how can I see and 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 call forth the gold in the the one person that is in front of me and that that was what the song space was about it was about seeing the gold and calling it forth and speaking love and the heart of god over these individuals and each other in the room and the city for hours, like literally listening for these songs that would want to come, that felt like they were coming through from this place of water and abundance. So yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah. So a few things around that, because you said I will, when you were talking about this relationship with God and you said, I will never deny that. And, (laughs) and it makes me think of some other things that I've heard you say, where you've talked about this is all going to connect, but where you, you've talked about, you have this sense of who you are and it's really big. And you've also talked about the intensity of who, of you and, and what, what does that look like to you to keep stepping deeper and more deeper into who you are and not denying Mm -hmm. and really opening to, and letting the world see, letting yourself see and letting the world see Mm. all that you are. This is what I have been calling, describing essence liberation work. It's that activity of getting down to the deep bone of who we are and reckoning with the intensity of that and the power of who we are in essence, who we are in the most basic principle of our form. And when I feel into that, what I see is that, yes, I have this individuated body, this individuated being that's walking around, but I am individuated from a whole. And I believe that that whole is the breath and the intention of 
God. It's, it's the earth. It's the oxygen in the air. It's other souls, other folks. It's the cosmos. We are all a living, breathing, pulsing organism together. And so when I look at the big self, the wider self, the most expansive aspect of who I am, what I see is not just me and my power, though it is me and my power. What I see is a deeply interrelational, interconnected being, a deeply interconnected living system that literally cannot exist apart from anything. So when I witness my own power and my own depth and my own expanse, what I'm actually witnessing is not just me, but the expression of God, the breath of God, the breath of spirit, the wholeness, the collective. Talk about like how that, so you have a class coming up called Own Your Creative Voice, right? That's Mm -hmm. Yes. and this is a lot of your teachings and this, and then you're speaking about essence liberation, this knowing you like expressing you, and then this sense of we're all deeply interconnected. So how, how do those meet this, this knowing that we're all interconnected and yet there's this distinct me with things to say that belong only to me to say, how, how do those work together? Yeah, well, I think the best way to look at it is like taking a look outside and recognizing that there's a tree in your yard that has its own unique footprint, blueprint, imprint. It has its own curves, textures that can literally not be duplicated by any other tree in the yard. There's no other tree that is that tree that has that tree's exact experience, perspectives, wrinkles, bark, expression, you know, like when the bark is flaking in a specific way, there's, it's, there's nothing mechanical or repeatable about it. And that tree is deeply embedded in the earth, right? The roots go down deep. uh, They spread really wide. The branches extend outward into the sky. And what we call that is nature. So not only can we look at the tree to see like, oh, there's an individuation happening. There's an essence that is wanting to be expressed. That that essence is determined by the time and the structure and the space and the environment and the textures and the uniqueness of this tree. That essence can be mapped and explored and navigated. And that tree is is nature. It is the natural world at the very same time. And everything that that tree is, is not self-contained. It must source water. It needs soil. It needs, you know, if it's a fruit bearing tree, if it has seeds, it has nuts, it needs other animals and life forms to come and prune these seeds and these nuts and to, 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 to really consume from its like expression and its abundance and its fruit in order to stay alive. So what we see, and, and this is what I've learned to call as a living system, yes, we are individuated, but we are, we are also living systems that are deeply interwoven with the story of, of earth, 
right? And yes, like in theory, we can make sense of it as, you know, individuated, essence specific beings. But when we zoom out, we're just all the earth. <laughs> we're just earth people. <laughs> One piece that's so beautiful about that is this sense of, okay, so the deeper that I go into my own, comparing to the tree, like my own root structure, my own way, the way that the bark shows up just in the way that it does this particular tree, but in the way that I go deeply into myself and to my essence, my expression in that way, I'm actually connecting more intimately with the whole. Mm. And, and that to do that work of going deep into oneself mm-hmm. is a way that we take care of each other. Yes. Can, can you say a little bit more about that? Just because it feels really important. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, as someone who grew up believing, thinking about myself, taking care of myself is a very selfish thing and very wrong. I think acknowledging the contrasts in our lives is like, well, what happens when we don't get to know ourselves, when we don't allow ourselves to be fully seen and witnessed by ourselves, right? What happens when we feel disconnected to the way that we're wired, for example? You know, a lot of neurodivergent people feel like totally abnormal. And then they realize it's not that I'm abnormal. I'm just like my own person and everybody is neurodivergent in some way or other, because they're literally their own unique person. Like what happens when we allow that, when we peel away this almost like directive or assignment to stop thinking about yourself, to stop considering yourself, stop taking care of yourself. And we turn ourselves into um, not humans, but like pieces of machine that exist to keep society going, Mm -hmm. that are devoid of texture and personality and uniqueness and like our own vibe, literally our own, we each emanate our own unique vibration and sound like just on a very scientific level we're all emitting something very different and when we squish that or push that away or disregard that what's really happening is we're just listening to this directive to just continue just to become a repeatable scalable replaceable piece of the machine yeah. So what has your own essence liberation look like? Like, where are you on that mm-hmm. journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really know when the end of the journey is. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, I don't know if there is an end, but part of it has just been learning about some of my sensitivity, like we've already talked about and like learning, hey, your sensitivity is actually... A really good thing. Like, it's like a really profoundly great thing, um, Daje. Or, like, you know, even going deeper into that sensitivity, learning about my neurodivergence and like all of the layers of just the way that I am wired to process information. 
you know, called upon certain systems and ways of thought, like astrology and human design to help me discover more of my essence, as well as like sitting with myself and engaging with pleasure and engaging with seeing what I like and like allowing myself to like those things or dialing into my nervous system and asking my nervous system, what parts of you are showing up today to be witnessed, to be loved on, to be cared for, to be nourished and nurtured? What parts do you want to hide away today, right? Like, so getting to know all of my little parts, bringing them into acceptance and wholeness, which is how I believe we create wholeness is we just accept that all the parts are here (laughs) and we're not trying to like do away with any part of who we are. We're just like, yeah, like my feet are probably a little stinky after that hike. This is who I am right now in this moment. That is essence liberation or saying, you know, I have this placement in Jupiter that makes me a little problematic sometimes. And like to certain groups of people and I'm like, okay, like that, let's call that in. I don't need to fix that. I just need to accept that these are aspects of who I am and how I've come. And of course, when I accept that automatically, what happens is soul growth. Automatically, what happens is evolution. Automatically, what happens is we have more space for our desires to come online, for our creativity to come online and say, you know, hey, actually, like, yes, I have this aspect. Yes, my feet are a little stinky after that height. Is this what I want to be happening? And then we get to like have a moment and say, okay, well, like, let me go take a shower or let me like integrate this part a little bit more and like ask some questions on how I can like work with my intensity in rooms that are not quite ready for my Jupiter expansive nature, right? Like, so, so this is the essence liberation work. It's saying my essence gets to be here in all of its parts, all of its textures, all of its messiness, all of its substance with, and and, and it's fully 1000% acceptable, no matter how it comes, no matter who says anything about it. I know that what I have here in this moment, every, every part of me is allowed to be here. And when I can come from that place into creativity there's just a lot more to work with, right? You got a lot, you just naturally have a lot more energy to bring to the table because like all your parts are here and online and are ready to go. Like you have more creativity, more options, your aperture is widened for more beautiful experiences. So that's kind of how I see as like, that's what I see essence liberation work as is the reholing of all of our parts and, and finding that acceptance and that deep, deep, deep reverence for who we are. So one of the things, a big part of your work is with entrepreneurs and with creatives. And there's these concepts like multidimensional frameworks, regenerative work, all in essence liberation that are all part of how you work with someone who comes to you and says, I'd like to grow my business or Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out what my business is. These are such in quotes, like normal questions. And then Mm -hmm. the sense is you come at them from this place that is very different than Mm -hmm. from where most people come at them from. And 
I'd like mm-hmm. to, to start to talk about that and have essence liberation be the bridge between mm-hmm. what, we, what we've been talking about and, and the work. Mm-hmm. Is that clear enough? Do you want me to ask a specific question around that? Yeah, that would be super. Okay. I could start anywhere. <laughs> okay. Well, if I, I would say it like this, if I come to you and I, I say, okay, well, my business is, it's fine. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of moving along, but I would really like it to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like to know, you know, how, how do I grow it? I, I'd love to hear how you start to bring in this idea, these ideas of essence liberation and, and, and the listening, the way that you listen and, mm-hmm. and multidimensional frameworks, like how you would take what is typically like, this is a typical conversation and begin to turn mm-hmm. it around. What is that? What does that beginning look like? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is such a great place to start because this is the question that people are asking. One of my first questions back is like, well, what is the relationship between you and your business? Right. And so starting to create that separation between the person's essence and the essence of an idea, because they are two totally different things. Then there's also like this sense of like creating the conditions where we can begin to unlearn the mechanistic worldview and step into an alive approach, a living systems approach where we are in relationship with the things that we do rather than forcing and coercing and um, yeah, just forcing and coercing our creations to do a little dance for us so that we feel better and safer on the inside. These are two totally different like world views. These are two totally different paradigms of being with, with things period. So asking that question of well, what is the relationship between you and your business is like the first, it's the starting point to understanding that like, You have a totally different essence. This idea, I love how Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in Big Magic when she's talking about ideas. So I'm just so on track with it. Like ideas come to us just as much as like we generate them, right? So we get to have a relationship with this, this idea that when it comes out of us, when we begin to work with it and form it and shape it, it's going to take a life of its own. It's going to impact and serve people and connect with people in ways that literally uh, we, we have no control over. People are going to begin to interface with this idea, this concept, this business, this product in ways that we literally will not, sometimes we will never be able to see that. And that, that experience is what I would say, that is your brand, right? So like taking, taking this word brand and like recontextualizing it has been like <laughs> kind of hard work, but like seeing it as like the story that your business is is sparking, is creating, it's the, it's the relationship. Your, your brand is the relationship between the idea, the entity of the business and the person who's going to be engaging with it. That's not you. And so how do we get relational? How do we get highly intentional about what that story is and becomes? 
right? So we get to dial in and ask these questions, really dial in and sync. I think the body comes online at this point because then customers are like, well, you know, how do I make money? And I'm like, okay, well, let's also talk about that because everything with money, even in the mechanistic world, is relational. Money is a relational substance. And so many of us in this world have been taught to fear money, to hate money, have been taught that money doesn't belong to us unless we have X, Y, and Z credentials or unless we have X, Y. So also underneath that, looking at the story is like, we've also been taught that resource. We are not allowed to be connected to enough resources unless we are expending enough energy to receive that. So there's a lot of unlearning in the physical body, in the spirit of a person, in the mental space on how to really like be in relationship with ideas, how to be in relationship with people, how to be in relationship with resources. So we have to almost like create new conditions so that we can see that actually if I'm in relationship with my business, I'm listening to my business. I'm listening to the data that's coming through. I'm listening to my customers' voices. I'm listening to how the business is kind of responding to having certain products out into the market, right? We don't have to go all the way into the whimsical woods to do business in a new way. We don't have to like forsake every like practical thing in order to do business in a new way. What I want to invite through Essence Liberation is that we come into relationship with things rather than force and impose our will onto things. And when you start to really embody this in business, when you start to get attuned to what is the spirit of my business? What is the spirit of this idea, this concept, you know, creative direction 101, like what is the spirit of what wants to happen here? What wants to evolve? What wants to be explored? What wants to have very specific colors and palettes and textures? and things, right? Like what is the spirit of how this idea wants to be expressed in the world? Let me dial in. Let me listen to that. And then, then I can begin to honor the essence of what that thing is without imposing my will, my agenda, my timeline onto what I'm creating, right? What I'm in relationship with. We start to bring that into every aspect of the way that we deal with the world, the way that we deal with people, the way that we deal with nature. It's just a blooming effect when we can recognize that, yes, we are individuated beings. We have bold, beautiful ideas, and we are also in relationship. We are fully individuated essences that are in relationship, like that tree in the yard, with all things else. And how can we begin to respect and honor those relationships rather than like force a specific result in a specific amount of time? How can we look at the outcomes that are available here to be explored and then move in that way? So that's kind of what... Um, how I would start to dial in and begin and drop in with, you know, a client and, you know, there's all kinds of resistance and and from the body, because the body's not used to, we live in this world as capitalists, like very, very, like the mechanistic view is like very online. Like we're used to our bodies being the machine part. We're so used to that. 
that like our own personal agency has gone out the window. Our own essence has been put on the back line. And we're just looking at how can I be more useful? How can I be more productive? How can I be more rich? How can I be X, Y, and Z? And it's like, well, how can you be more of what you already are first? Let's dial into that first, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, I could keep going. So you might, you might want to stop me there. <laughs> well, I want you to keep going. I want to say two, two things. And then you can see if you want to keep going with where you were going or, or go off on a little bit of a um, different, different avenue. But first of all, I think that's just really interesting because words that kept coming to me over the last, I don't know, several months, if not longer, I just kept hearing be in communion with, be in communion with. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about being in relationship with, like, this is what it is to, we are, we are in relationship with everything, even though we may not perceive that because of the way this, our cultural paradigm has been set up. But this, piece of this is a small piece but I think um I actually think it's it's not it's a big piece but it's it's only touches on a little bit of of what you were talking about this when you said this statement we have this idea that we're not allowed access to like enough resources without expending enough energy and I would love for you to say more about that because I do think that's kind of at the root of all of this is this what do I have to give in order to get? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've literally been taught from birth, <laughs> many of us, to manipulate our environment so that we can receive the resources that we need to thrive. And how I love to come at this is from this place of inherent belonging. When a child, and this is something that has come up for me again and again and again, like when a child knows that they are fully loved fully received, fully held, fully nurtured, fully cared for without needing to expend a lot of energy trying to get their needs met. They are most usually healthier, whole, more integrated, more friendly beings in society. They often have whole relationships with money and resources. They're on time. Usually like usually children who are well held and loved and cared for and nurtured, even outside of the, the, the two parent household, they have people surround. They are well-loved sons and daughters, right? That, that, who am I as a well-loved child asking that question again and again, you start to reconcile your relationship with not only money, but like getting your needs met, being able to ask for what you need in a way that's like real neutral instead of like violent and volatile. Like you have to take it because like no one else is going to give you this world. You've got to take it. Right. A lot of us are given that narrative through Disney, but like, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? So it's like, actually like this is this is a bigger, this is bigger than capitalism. This is like maybe human condition stuff, right? Where we have been so disoriented from place and people and belonging that almost in order to like actually receive money and receive wealth, we have to know that we belong. And this is why I call creative courage. This is about self-belonging. 
um, and learning to cultivate belonging because before you can even receive money, right. In a way that is different than that manipulative, like really intense, like, and I say manipulative on purpose. Cause like, sometimes when we are crying and screaming at the top of our lungs for somebody to give us what we need, we're manipulating people's emotional and nervous system reactions so that we can get our needs met. That's mm-hmm. literally what's happening when a baby is screaming at the top of their lungs to get their needs met. They have, they feel like I have to trigger you in order (laughs) to actually get some milk in my tummy. Right. And that's like, that's like an innate thing that we learn to do. Um, when a parent is, you know, not attuned to the needs of their child, you know, I'm not a parent, like I'm not a parent. So like, if I'm wrong, please don't cancel me. (laughs) It's totally, it's totally accurate in my, in my experience of having two kids. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. And so how, like asking the question of like, well, how, like what, what is the inner child in me that's screaming at the top of my lungs to get my needs met? Because, and like, almost like, I don't care if it's triggering toward more positive or negative polarities and emotion, whatever we're doing, right. If it's not coming from this place of like, I know, I know that because I'm a part of this world and because I'm a part of nature and because I'm a part of, you know, a community or a society or whatever that I can get my needs met, there's always a sense of like, I have to manipulate a little bit in order to get my needs met. Now, because we're at a place in evolution where we're not all like telepathically attuned and like we all know what the other's needs and we don't have a need for money anymore and like blah, 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 blah. We're not there yet. We're not there as like a world, as a society where we are so evolved to not need to make a little bit of noise to be like, hey, I, I uh, like, I'm going to expend a little bit of energy I hope that in exchange, I'm going to receive something that can nourish me. Like sometimes this is where the voice comes in. We can start to create a new relationship with receiving money. We can start to create like, a. this is what I would say. This is the regenerative piece where it's like, no longer do I need to extract from my, myself. I don't need to carve myself up like a ham. I don't need to overgive. I don't need to over deliver. I just need to come with what I have and what I am, my own voice, my own essence and speak and say, this is what I need in exchange for this thing. And nobody else can decide for you what that is. Nobody else can like, you know, but like being able to work with and be in relationship with these aspects that are showing up, being in a relationship with money, being in relationship with resource and, and, and really kind of regenerating that part of us that feels completely abandoned and bringing ourselves back into belonging with who we are, self-belonging with who we are. My essence belongs. What I have to bring is good. Um, let me be in relationship. Let me be in a conversation with how, you know, what I need and what I give flows out and from me. Um, so yeah, it's like, it is a nuanced conversation for sure. The conversation on money is not simple. Um, 
I, I can never just be like money is just an energy and uh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's never, <laughs> I like, I, I, I find, yeah, I find that like that has never been a helpful narrative. I find for me, it goes back to the primordial, like sense of like, I don't believe, right. Like, like acknowledging this within ourselves, like, do I believe that I am inherently worthy of having my needs met. Mm. Period. Period. And then you can you can sort of graduate from that question and start to ask, do I believe that I am worthy of having my desires expressed? And then you can graduate from that one and be like, do I believe? that I am worthy of shaping a world around me, creating the conditions where both my needs and desires are met in fullness without the fuss, without the extraction, without the little dance we do for capitalism. Do I believe that? So titrating this experience in the body and in the nervous system can help us to rehole our belonging when it comes to money. Because um, money, yeah, money is just, it's currency. It's in its nuance, but it's like, yeah. So, and those are powerful questions, really powerful questions. So I feel like this is somehow deeply tied to regenerative mysticism. Mm-hmm. Is it? Like, I'm not even sure I fully understand what regenerative mysticism means. So I don't know why I feel like it's time there's something there. Yeah. And I would say that, like, you know, I I don't fully understand what regenerative mysticism is. And I think that's the point. It's on the twofold, right? This, yes, this is tied to regenerative mysticism in that I believe that mysticism is about allowing ourselves to be in the question and, and yes, like we can receive clarity and answers and all of that, but does my body feel safe asking the question, peeling away the fabric of the reality I've always known and allowing space for something new, which is the regenerative part where nothing is wasted, nothing that we've been through, nothing that we've experienced individually as a world, as a community, as families is wasted. We did not waste our time getting to this place in evolution. We did not waste our time with capitalism. We learned a lot, right? So getting into that perspective first and being like, we learned a lot. There's a lot to work with here. I can begin to accept where we've come, uh, who we are in essence. Now, how can I plant this? How can I put this in the soil? How can I bloom something else? And it's that act of being in the soil, being in the deep, being in that not yet already, like in that in between, that is the question, right? we don't even know where we're going yet. It was so many people who were like, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And we're going to like have it, whatever. But nobody saw 2020 coming. Nobody, nobody saw that. <laughs> nobody planned for that. And so I would, I would assume that many of us are going to have like so many more situations like that on a personal level, on a collective level, on a global scale. Like we're going to have more of that. Can we find that 
physical ability to be in the question while planting something new, imagining something new, defining something new for ourselves that is in that desire piece, right? So from the questions before, can I allow myself to see my desires expressed Do I have the safety in my body to build upon, design upon my own desires? This is regenerative mysticism, where we allow ourselves to build, even though we don't yet know fully with high clarity what's going to happen next. We just know that what we desire is not where we've been. And so we get to dream and not only just dream, we get to build something else. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, That was really something. I go into the last the last part of the conversation and I have a question at the end, but before I do that, because there's so much more that we could speak to that we haven't, is there something in particular that you want to speak to? <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anything else in particular. I feel like I could continue to go through the map, but I think the folks have heard enough. <laughs> There's enough to sit with, maybe. There I don't is. know. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. So the so first, you're at the Story Doula on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is a great place to go, honestly, because I get really tired of Instagram. But you're one of the people that I really enjoy seeing your mm-hmm. stories, the things you post. So you can go to the at the Story Doula to follow Daje on Instagram. And then you have, I mentioned it briefly, but you have a couple things I'd like you to talk about. One is Brave School. And then as part of Brave School, this class that's coming up. So I'd love Mm. for you to say a few words about it. Yeah, Brave School is an institute of dreaming for wild-hearted creatives and entrepreneurs. This is for folks who are dreaming of something new, something creative, something that comes from their heart, and they are wanting the tools and the structures and sometimes even the support to create their own tools and structures to take that dreaming, take those dreams, and to actualize them, to bring them into doing and building. Um, so we have a lot of creators that we meet in the creative process who are feeling stuck and stumped, especially with the online world and how to engage with these things, or even how to like come off of line and and start to build in the real world. And I bring both perspectives to the table. Our team brings both perspectives to the table. Ultimately, all we want to do is really support creatives in breathing and accessing the resources that they need to build in the creative process. We need creatives, we need entrepreneurs to to come through with their ideas to build the new world with us. And I say new world really loosely. I don't don't mean disillusion, like this illusion of a new world. I mean, like truly like a new, like, like shift of heart toward who we are and how we be in the world, right? And in relationship with the world. 
So um, own your voice, I would say, is like the very first stop for anyone who wants to come and engage with anything that's going on inside of Brave School. It is a three-day immersion for wild-hearted creatives and entrepreneurs who want to radically own their voices in the creative process. I think the creative voice is the core of the creative process. And when we have relationship with the voice, we're actually able to create more. I talked about that earlier. We're actually able to bring more of ourselves to the table, which ultimately just results in like higher levels of creativity, higher levels of courage, higher levels of like the willingness to cut through the noise and say what you say, say what you see in the world, say what you see wants to be built in the world and then build that yourself. So it's the first stop. We're going to demystify the creative voice. We're going to we're going to call forth the true essence in the voice because a lot of us have been conditioned to uh, sort of shape our voices to be like um, more acceptable for society, right? Like some people have their podcast voice and some people have their course teaching voice. And like, my question is like, what if, you know, who you are in essence was in threaded, it was threaded through all the things that you do you would definitely like not use as much energy trying to be impressive or anything like that. You just bring your medicine and bring your peace. And then at the end of that, we're going to talk about embracing and tending the creative voice. So what are some of the practical steps that we can do? Like, what are the energetic boundaries? What are the things that we need to say no to? How can we allow our voices to truly be ours so that we can have access to this great amount of um, creative wisdom and juice that we can bring to the culture that sometimes gets wrapped up and lost in other people's opinions or thoughts or memories or ideas? How can we embrace and tend to the voice so that we know that it's always ours and that we know that we can rest the voice when we need to. So that is what is happening inside of Own Your Voice, this three-day immersion. We'll be meeting every day for about two hours a day. Um, and we will carry on conversation in our community group chat. But I'm so excited for the creatives who've already registered for this amazing experience. I'm very, very thrilled to have our team supporting um, this space as well, in case you guys have any questions or thoughts or things that you want to share. I'm so excited. And you can register for that at www.braveschool.co backslash own dash your dash voice dash live. So that's where you can find it. I really hope you can join. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. And then I, I just actually want to add, I mean, you did a great job letting people know about it. I believe it's also only $37. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My entire team was like, what? <laughs> like, why is this, this price? Um, it's, it's a price that I felt come through my spirit. I really wanted to create this space to be accessible. Like I would definitely pay $37 for a three-day live event in person, um, to go and receive all the amazing things that are going to be included inside of own your voice live. And so, yeah, it's kind of a steal. It definitely, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess when, when you hear all that, it's easy to think, okay, yeah, whatever. That's probably got a lot. And, and I remember when I saw it, I was like, $37. <laughs> okay, great. That sounds amazing. Um, so, and this is of course, not to put any 
any story into money for like more is charged than more is charged. So I don't want to. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then the next part is a gratitude. I'm really full right now. Like my heart <laughs> is really full because I mm. listening to you. One, one aspect of my gratitude is what I mentioned in the way that you speak. My experience is showing up so fully in your being without apology, without excuses, without making smaller, just here I am and I'm in this space mm. and I am in this space with you. And I'm so grateful for the fact that you are not turning away from who you are mm. and instead bringing yourself fully here mm. for all of us. It's like, yeah, I can't even tell you. It's really amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for receiving me. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so then the last piece is the question that's coming up is I would love if you feel prepared to speak to this, the world that you see yourself creating through essence liberation, through regenerative work with multidimensional frameworks, what does that world or what are some aspects of that world that feel most important to you right now to be creating? One of the things that comes to mind is that people are able to turn to and see the depth and complexity of their own wisdom to not stigmatize their own complexity and just to, to really like let it be. Um, even if we don't understand all aspects of ourselves, when we can just let ourselves be complex, layered, beautiful, intricate beings, the whole world is better for it. And in this complexity, what we also see on a cellular level is that we have more capacity for communion. We have more capacity for connection and for exchange and reciprocity um, and not the tit for tat calculated reciprocity, but really just like the desire to give and the gratitude with receiving. So I see a more connected and whole world full of people who just can see with compassion, oh, like I am complex, you are complex. Let's be with our complexities together. Let's imagine a new world together because I can't imagine the world myself on my own. I can only hold a single part of it. Someone else has another part. Another person has another part. And we can bring our, our inner wisdom, our inner knowing, our curiosities, our complexities to the table. We create something incredibly rich and beautiful beyond what we can even like picture in our minds that's what I want to see happen. that's beautiful thank you so much Dajay mm -hmm. thank you thank you for having me and thank you for yeah just holding this conversation 
You're welcome. If this conversation has moved you or inspired you in some way, then I encourage you to spend some time with it, to let the words seep in and be with the wisdom that was shared. And if you feel called to share this episode with someone else, with a friend, with another maker, artist, or individual who's longing to go beyond, then please do. For all show notes and past episodes and to learn about all offerings, go to DaphneCohn.com. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that over on iTunes or Spotify and leave a review over at iTunes. Remember, if you'd like to be a part of Illumin, coming whenever it fits your schedule, you can learn more at IlluminHour.com. Thank you for listening.